All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucksters? What the fuck nicks? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. I am recording on uh, Sunday, yesterday. I was in Bloomington, Indiana uh, from Wednesday night through uh, Sunday morning. And I go there once a year, once every year and a half I go. I've been there a lot over the last decade. And I got to be honest, I always, every time I'm going, I go to uh, play the comedy attic up there. And uh, I I always get a little like, oh man, it's going to get weird. Something's going to be weird. It's always weird. It's subtle. It's a, it's a disarming town because it's a college town and, and it, uh, it feels uh, like that. But there's just a little weirdness on the periphery there. I'm not sure what it is. Maybe it didn't get weird this time, though. It didn't get weird with the audience. It didn't get weird with the people that approached me. I didn't have any weird encounters. But uh, I, I, maybe that's a testament to my weird magnet uh, being uh, turned off or down quite a bit. I don't know, man. I'm definitely a, a little less needy. That's, uh, is that an announcement? Oh, by the way, two days ago on the the, uh, the first, on the first was the ninth anniversary of this show. We've been at this for nine years and two days now. Brendan McDonald and myself and all our guests are very grateful that uh, you've listened all these years. Many of you have, but uh, it's sort of a big deal. I didn't really know it was happening until someone mentioned it on Twitter, but uh, it is nine years That's fucking unbelievable. So much has happened. So much has happened in the nine years. And and those of you who've been on board for most of it know exactly what those things are. And uh, thank you for going through all that with me. I appreciate it. Back to Bloomington. So I got to be honest, man. I I love the place. I like going there. I was very relaxed. And I'm, I'm not always relaxed on the road. I am always somewhat happy to be away. Because I think I've talked about it before when you're out there in a strange city or unfamiliar terrain and it's just you in a room that you're not responsible for cleaning and uh, you know everything about your, your day-to-day life that you live normally is, is far away and you're just in this uh, rented box. Sometimes when you got some space, it's nice to take advantage of it. Like, I can sit on my porch, I can wander around these streets, but there's always the responsibility of my life hanging over me. And I got, I got to, uh, to Bloomington, and I, you know, within a few hours, I was just sort of like, oh, good. And I brought the newest copy of The Baffler, which is a, a magazine that I get. I don't know if it's, I think it's every two months. And it's very dense, usually. It's got, you know, it's fun. It's got art. It's got poetry. But it's got some almost academic but very cutting cultural criticism in there usually themed through a through a, an issue and i i usually read one or two things in there and, and my brain just explodes it's not that it's incapable of taking it but this time i was really i just processing it i was ho- rolling up the the copy of it and walking around with it i had my notebook going i'm stopping in the middle of a supermarket parking lot to write down thoughts i'm adding some wood to the fire of my brain and kind of formulating new ideas, new bits, just pushing my brain out there as I wandered in the, the sort of humidity of Indiana, which, which is great for me because, you know, I'm, I'm sober a long time, but if you get the right humidity and you just, you're at the right amount of uh, needing sleep, 
uh, you get a little buzz on. You move a little slower. It's kind of like it's a little thick. It's like moving through a through a, a sort of almost set pudding of atmosphere. And uh, it was great. I, you know, I, got, I had a, an advanced copy of my, my buddy Sam Lipsight's book, which is fucking hilarious. It's called Hark. It's going to be out in a few months. I got to get him in here. And it was just uh, it was just amazing to sort of open up my brain again and to sort of be be relieved of the the cats and house and day to day shopping. I was in the box and I walk out of the box and I wander around and just writing things down, getting the brain active. And then I'd go to this amazing club, the Comedy Attic. And it's amazing because it's off the grid, man, in a lot of ways. You got to fly into Indianapolis and you got to drive to Bloomington, but... There's just there's there's a nice sort of cross section of uh, you, you know grown up weirdos there that uh, that come see me. I sold out all five shows. It's a little place; it only seats like 170. But that is the type of club where you can get into that one mind uh, feeling with an audience. And you know, in four out of the five shows, we're kind of transcendent. And one of them was just work. Uh, a bit it was still good but it was like it there wasn't the freedom there but because i'm wandering around all day i'm smoking cigars i'm hot i'm writing things down i'm pushing my brain out there i'm i'm getting into the zone where i don't give a fuck and i can take risks and just follow and process my own stream of consciousness up there it's one thing you know showing up at a theater with a polished act it's another thing being in the crucible in the sort of you know tide pool of your brain just evolving shit out of it and it was uh it, it was just it's always great it's always a great five shows uh jared uh, runs a a good room up there and i'm and I'm, I'm grateful for it i think i'm smoking too many cigars though that that i can tell you right now man you get me going on shit hey you guys have been through this with me before if you've been here nine years you've been through all of it you've been through all of it with me also another interesting thing some guy showed up at the show it was his 11th time seeing me. Man, 11th time. People came from all over the place, man. It was really humbling and, and kind of powerful, man. People came from Detroit, from St. Louis, from Cincinnati. They came up from Kentucky. Some people flew in from San Diego, from, from Philadelphia. I mean, to this little club in Bloomington, Indiana. They came from all over. And it's like when I see them tweet about it or whatever, it's a lot of pressure. I'm like, oh, my God, they drove five hours. I better deliver the fucking goods. Not that I wouldn't want to do that anyways, but it does add extra pressure. But I think everybody had a, a good time. And also in that club, there's no real point. There's only a little a little fucking green room. So I'm always outside. I'm, yeah, I'm outside meeting, greeting because it's a small enough room to do that. So you got the first show getting pictures with me while the second show is waiting to go in. I did a little pre-show, you know, outside for the line, you know, working all angles, not intentionally. It's just, there was nowhere else to go, but 11 times seeing me. That's wild, man. It's almost like I'm a, like, it's almost like, a, I'm like a fish show. I'm surprised the guy's not following me around the country. Well, I don't work that much. I don't do that many dates. I think that's another reason why. Uh, I, and I didn't mean to compare myself to Fish. It was just a joke about a jam band. You know, like maybe I'm, I'm not the jam band of comedy. That is not me. I don't tour enough, which is why people came from so far away. I'm not the kind of, you know, 100 dates a year kind of guy. I'm like, let me put together, take some my time, put this stuff together, maybe do 20, 30 dates a year and run through it. 
But uh, yeah, I don't have a tour plan, but I'm sure I will uh, next year after Glow. Get some dates on the books. And that's uh, that's what's happening. Oh, every time I'm in Bloomington, I go to Landlocked Records, picked up some wax, some vinyl, a few slabs. I don't think that's what they're called. They don't call them slabs. Landlocked Records has some great stacks, man. They got the they got the racks, but beneath the racks, there's just a bunch of records on the floor. You know, they're alphabetized, but they're not the uh, top shelf records. But there's a lot of good shit in there. What I pick up, I got an old Bee Gees record from the late '60s called Idea. I picked up a Tommy James record because I think it's called Me, My Bed, and My Red Guitar. Um, I don't know much about it, but it looked like something I might want. Uh, I, I actually got the um, Rosington Collins Band record. That's the what was left of Leonard Skinner after the crash. I've never let Skinner go. I'll forgive them, Sweet Home Alabama, even though I, I like that song. And there's no reason. It's not a guilty pleasure. They're a great fucking band. You know what? I, I love Leonard Skinner all the way through the whole fucking catalog. Uh, what else did I get? I got a Miles Davis album I didn't have, and I got a... Uh, a Coltrane record that just got released of a, of a live performance, a double record. I don't know the name of it. Looking forward to uh, to listening to that. But for some reason, I, I really want to go listen to that fucking Bee Gees record. I'm trying to get into old Bee Gees. There's a couple songs I like. But anyways, I'm rambling. Landlock Records, always a stop for me in Bloomington. And yeah, it was a, it was a good time. Did I mention who's on the show today? I did not. I did not mention Today, Dan Schlissel joins me. Dan Schlissel is the proprietor, producer, and uh, overseer and owner of uh, Stand Up Records. Stand Up Records is a comedy album label. He's done all. He's done a lot of different people. Schlissel's done everybody from me to Stanhope to Maria to I mean, everybody. He recorded two of my records. He re- he reissued my first record. And the funny thing about Dan is, well, you do a, you know, I, the first album I did with him was, uh, I think, Ticket's Still Available. And that was in Seattle. And it was funny because, you know, I didn't have a draw. So we were, we did like uh, four shows, you know, for like anywhere from 60 to 150 people, maybe. And he spent about, you know, six months to a year <laughs> mixing that thing. I, I think I'm exaggerating, but not by much. And, but the the amazing thing was is that when I was going through my divorce and my life was falling apart and I needed to be on stage to process it, I would always go to this shitty little club in Seattle called Giggles. Uh, the guy who ran the place, Terry, you know, he used to you know sell the tickets, make the drinks, do five minutes to open the show, and wait on tables. And he was a very bizarre guy. He'd always you know figure out a way to short you a hundred bucks. But it was a dirty little club, and I recorded two fucking albums there. Thank you, Terry. I don't mean to shit on your club. It's gone now, but but you know. You know who you are. But, uh, but on that second one, I, you know, I booked the date on a few weeks' notice because I was losing my mind in a terrible state of grief and anger. And I called Schlissel up, and I said, is there any way you can get to Seattle with the equipment? And let's, uh, let's fucking get this stuff down. I don't know what's going to happen, but you know, I'm on fire. And he did it, and that was my album. He came out on pretty short notice, and that was uh, Final Engagement, which was definitely the um, separation-slash-divorce album. It's pretty pretty grim, pretty dark, pretty focused, pretty... The tone is not uh, necessarily pleasant, but uh, it's one of my favorite records that I've done. 
And Dan did that. And so I, I thought, it, you know, he was in town. I thought it was a unique opportunity to talk to somebody who, uh, who was on that side of the business, a guy who loves comedy, who, who is very um, attentive to the process of recording comedy. And everybody knows him. We all know him. And most of us have done a record with him. So if you want more information about him, you can go to, uh, or about stand-up records in general, you can just go to standuprecords.com, see the catalog. But this is me uh, talking to uh, Dan Schwissel. So Schwissel, I have not seen you in a while, and you show up. You're you, you look like you're in bad shape. Well, you know, life life brings us interesting things as we move forward through it. Yeah, you hobbled up like an old Jew. I, I I'm turning into an old Jew. How old are you? Forty seven. Oh really? Yeah yeah. I can't remember when we met. I can't remember how long ago that was. But what now? Do you want to talk about what's going on with you? I'm yeah not- yeah, it's okay. I can talk about pretty much anything. It's a real harrowing tale though. Oh yeah. Uh yeah I. You know, I was, I found myself getting weaker and weaker for a period of a few years. Yeah. No idea why. Right. All of a sudden, I started sweating profusely as well. Like yeah. something I can't control. Right. You never had that before? No. I mean, I was, I always had overweight guy sweat. Yeah. But I never had just standing for two minutes and then like I ran a marathon sweat. Right. Right. Oh, geez. Yeah. Yeah. So I went, my arms went numb while I was on a recording trip in New Orleans. Both of them? Both of them. From the elbows down to the fingertips. Hmm. Like they were on fire, but I couldn't feel anything right. besides that. Yeah. And uh, I came home from New Orleans, scheduled an appointment with a doctor. Yeah. Uh, I had had lower back surgery earlier that year. Yeah. Um, my family doctor sent me to a neurologist. Neurologist sent me for MRIs. I took a copy of the MRIs to show my spinal surgeon. Yeah. And he, my wife and I went in and he, he stared at that MRI. He looked at us, didn't say anything, then stared back at, uh, at the MRI again. Yeah. Right? That's the international medical symbol for you're screwed. Right, right. The, the no saying glance. Yeah. Like looking at like, you and not uh, knowing uh, what uh-oh. this. Yeah. yeah. How do we, how do we talk about this? Yeah. So so then he tells me that my body's turning my ligament into bone in my neck Uh and it's pressing against my nervous system and it's going to cause paralysis probably if I don't have surgery. Right. And I said, okay. He goes, I'm the wrong doctor. I need you to speak to a colleague. I said, okay. He goes, that'll be tomorrow. Go home. Don't do anything. Yeah. Here's a neck brace. Don't drive. Don't go up and down stairs. Don't get in the shower. Really? Sit. Huh. Wow. Urgency. 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 That night, the neurologist called, same verdict. Yeah. Oh, wow. The next day, the neurosurgeon does the same thing with the MRI. Yeah. It turns out, uh, had to have surgery. It took a month, so I was in a neck brace for a month, and my muscles in my neck were atrophying the whole time. They took me in for surgery, and they cut open the back of my neck and fused C2 through C6. Yeah. So I have 10 titanium screws and two rods in my neck now. Is that going to stop the progress of the- it, it should arrest the development of the disease any further. Yeah. But in that time, my neck atrophied, my muscles was all cut open to have the surgery, and yeah. then I was on a massive amount of painkillers. Right. Four days after the surgery, the hospital left me in an improper position. I choked to death on my neck brace. You choked to death? To death. My in wife, the hospital? In the hospital. Uh-huh. My, the only reason I'm here now is because my wife was there. Uh-huh. I, look, I opened my eyes and looked at her and tried to say- Helped me over and over again and couldn't push air. Uh-huh. And she ran and got the nurse. And if she hadn't been there, I wouldn't be here. So you didn't, you didn't actually die? No. I, the nurse said one to three minutes dead. Really? hmm You were dead one to three minutes? hmm Jesus Christ. So the, the thing made the mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. Did you sue the hospital? Uh, I, I tried to uh, talk to a lawyer and all that, but there isn't enough proof to 
Make that you were in the wrong position? Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, you know, sometimes uh, suing's bad karma anyways. I didn't really want to do it anyhow, but, uh, I, you know, one of my lawyer friends said, you really ought to just see how far you can take this in case. Yeah, because you died for three minutes. And I picked up, you know, a bunch of other stuff because of it. What do you mean? Uh, after the surgery, I had an infection in the wound. They had to reopen it up to clean it out. Yeah. That happens a lot out here in it, hospitals. It was brutal. Like, uh, was it with that uh, bad infection? Uh, it, that... it was actually E. coli. Right, but it wasn't the- It uh... wasn't MRSA. Oh, MRSA. Yeah, that's the one. That's yeah. bad, huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, they say E. coli in the wound is bad. It doesn't affect your digestive system, but it's just hard to kill. Yeah, but you bounce back- yeah, I mean, two and a half years later, I feel great. Yeah? <laughs> as and great the, as I can. The, I mean, I the, look like an old Jew now, but... What's with the cane? Uh, because I have these neck and back problems, it's hard to support the weight of my head because my neck is not a normal straight up and yeah. down neck. I lean forward. Yeah. So every time you have a little bit of forward lean to your head, it adds gravity and weight to your head. Right. And it just continues that. So the cane is to help support it. Right. But part of the reason I have the cane now is I went to a two-day concert in San Francisco a yeah. couple weeks ago. right. And I overdid it. See, yeah. See what happens? We're getting old either way. Yeah. And you want to go uh, be, uh, you know, go take in some punk rock. Yeah. And but I took it in from the soundboard, not in the crowd, though. I oh, mean, you got a, you got connections? Well, no, I just know where to stand so that I'm far away from the people that are running into each other. Oh, oh, oh! So you do that on purpose? Oh, yeah. Now back. I do. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I can't take too many shots to my back or head. So I'm trying to remember. You know, like I was looking at the the roster of stand-up records, <laughs> and uh, you know, like I I I don't know how early on I was with. I think you the first one you recorded for me. Was uh, tickets still available? Yeah, that's uh, release number 21. Okay, so that I was the 21st. Yeah, and if you include the reissue of Not Sold Out, that was number 17. Really? You reissued that before we did uh, tickets still available? Uh, it was being reissued as we were recording. Oh, okay. Because if you remember, the poster that we did for the recording of tickets still available was the cover of Not, Not Sold, Sold Out. Out. Right, that became the, the new cover. That's yep. right. Yeah, that guy who did that poster? Jeff Kleinsmith. Yeah, Jeff. Works over at Sub Pop. Yeah, Jeff Kleinsmith. Uh, I have that poster somewhere. It's over there against the wall. I'll get it back up. It was up in the old garage. No, I saw the photo. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh, the photo I posted on Instagram? Yeah, yeah. That was. I forgot. That's that photo. Uh, so, right. So then we did that one at Giggles, and when we did, years later, we did uh, Final Engagement, which I thought might be my last comedy record, at Giggles. Right. Again. You went twice, which surprised the heck out of me. The worst comedy club in the world. <laughs> Absolutely. For, but, but as a room, it was a good room. It was a good room, and you got a good. Re you know how to play a room, anyway. Yeah. you always did. Yeah, but like it's like the, it was a little weird room, and like I, it's just. But let's. We'll, well, the, the thing you said to me when you said you said I want to do final engagement there, and I go really. He goes the. You said the room makes me so crazy. I feel like anything can happen. <laughs> yeah, and we did it on like a week. How not much notice? I was just sort of like I'm going through this thing. I'm separate. Things are fucked up in my life. And I just, I think we need to get it down. It, I knew it was a short notice, like a few weeks, right? It was, it was under a month, if I remember right. Right, dude, for you, I, I just booked out giggles and had you drive over. It was worth it, though. With Honestly, the truck. and this is not the Brown Knows You. It might be the best record that I've put out on stand -up. Oh, thank you it's, very it's much. A, it's a tremendous record, and I'm still very proud of that oh, one yeah. in particular. Well, you did a great job with it, and it was definitely a, a, a sort of a, a tonally intense record. Yeah, but I mean, the the... The craziness that you bring, like that whole thing when you, whenever you leave the house, you picture other people having sex with your wife. Oh, yeah. Like the level of paranoia that you got into. Yeah. 
I related to that so readily <laughs> yeah. that it was just, it, it made everything else just beautiful for me. Oh yeah. Well, I, I'm proud of that record. I like the whole trilogy really. Um, but let's, let's go back because I met you. I'm trying to remember how I first met you. Why did, why did we come in touch with each other? Why did it happen? Do you remember? I totally remember. I ordered not sold out from your website. Okay. Got it. And was a little... I was a little disappointed that it came in like a cardboard sleeve and that I knew that you had done it yourself because you had used artwork that was not, you had modified it, but it was still photos from the movie Freaks. Yeah, yeah. And I knew you couldn't release that on a wider scale. I kind of knew that too. (laughs) Okay, good. I remember getting, I remember ordering all those and getting them in envelopes. I was like, fuck it. I'll just put them in envelopes with pictures on them and, and, you know, I'm going to sell them. Yeah, I didn't, it wasn't, I just didn't, uh, it was just really specifically supposed to be website and road merch. Oh, okay. I mean, I did. I wasn't really thinking of a big release. I didn't think I, I had the juice for that, and I, I just went the cheapest way possible at the time because it was all self-produced. Right. And the guy that recorded it, Jason Spiro, was just this weird kind of massive comedy fan who used to hang around the alt comedy scene in New York and take pictures, and he designed websites, and you know he had a you know a dat deck. Oh, nice. So that was just the thing. I just had him again spontaneously record that thing for an audience of like thirty. At Stand Up New York. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I had no idea that was, A, that small of an audience. It makes sense, though, because I just recorded at Stand Up New York for the first time, you know, produced something there. Yeah. And I was surprised at the small turnouts and the small size of the club. Yeah, always. Well, I mean, you know, they used to have bigger ones, but it was an off night, and that was recorded not long after 9-11. It was still weird there. But it's okay. So you ordered that, and you're like, what, this guy needs a bigger release? I thought so. I mean, <laughs> to me, look, I, I grew up in the Midwest involuntarily. Yeah. And Comedy Central, you know, back when they showed a lot of stand-up. Right. That was a lifeline to me to what I called civilization, which means not the middle of Nebraska. Right. Oh, yeah, right. So you, whether you like it or not, to me, you were a legend already yeah. in my head. Right. So, because you, you related to me, I related to you. So you and, saw me on those clips, like from Caroline's, and from, on right. all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then I, I get this CD, and I'm like, this guy deserves more than this. <laughs> He's so good. Why would he do this? Yeah. Well, why would he do this? Because <laughs> you're like one of nine people that thought it was good. And but, I appreciate it. But thank God. Yeah. Right. I mean, it really gave me it gave me a chance to work with you. Yeah. So and you reached out to me. You uh, I, as soon as I got the CD, I wrote to you on the website and said, hey. uh, you know what's going on with this could there be a way to do it better you know this is what i do sort of yeah (laughs) well that's sort of like right but and i remember like uh i I don't remember did i respond pretty quickly yeah 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 i was i was amazed to get a response at all because half the time you write to a website and you just goes into the ether you know no sometimes but i mean it depends again like i wrote checky green's website and i heard back from oh really yeah claiming not to be him but it was clearly somebody who was either sitting next to him or, or very close to him uh all right so how does it how does it start for you because we did do those records and i remember my big thing for both records is like how long it took and I used to bother you because you're very meticulous. But but it turns out it's fine, even though I busted your balls about <laughs> oh, it. Not only do you, you are such a yeller. Oh my God. <laughs> really? <laughs> then? What did yeah. I do? Every phone call was like, I could hold it away from my head. Oh, really? Oh yeah, yeah. You were You came in hot on all those, justifiably. 
but yeah. you were hot on a lot of those like, conversations. Like, about like how long it was taking? Yeah. But at the same time, you weren't watching John and I file jockey everything and go through every step of the processing to make the sound yeah, better and better. Yeah, my experience was, you know, like that guy just came to the club with a thing and I got a thing. Right. You know, so like, but like over time, I realized, you know, what you guys are doing because you're breaking down four shows. At least. I, I think yeah. four, maybe five on For your tickets. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. I have to look at the dates again because that part I don't remember so well. But so you grew up in Nebraska? Uh, I, we moved to Nebraska three days before I started in the seventh grade from the Poconos. Oh, so you grew up, what, were they Orthodox? Uh, no, my folks are conservative. My folks are Israeli immigrants. My, oh, my okay. mom is Israeli. My dad was born in Poland. How Really? Yeah. So how'd they end up in the Poconos? Uh, my, well, my dad, he was in a commando unit, basically. In the Israeli in the, in the army. Israeli army. And, yeah. you know, and originally he, from Poland. Born so, in Poland, yeah. So he went to Israel as part of the the sort of, uh, what do you call it, the diaspora? Uh, no. What do he, you call it? Like he, like the, was he running from anything? Yeah, 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 yeah. At two years old, the war broke out in Poland and uh, his dad knew what was coming, destroyed his business and they fled to the Russian half from of Hitler. Poland. No shit. And then the Russians said, you ran, you're traitors, Siberia. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So that he was in Siberia? When from was, age two to seven. With his family? With his family. And he lost his father there because his father decided not, uh, if I remember the story right, my f- grandfather did not work one son Yom Kippur and the Russians said, you don't work, you don't eat. Anyone who gives you food also won't eat. And they starved him to death. That's the story. That is the story. It's heavy, man. And my dad like remembers, my dad felt personally responsible for the death of his grand of his father yeah. because- uh, he wouldn't give him his food because he couldn't. Because he oh, couldn't. Oh, so that's kind of a mind fuck. It, it was it was a weird for thing life. for me to grow up with that yeah. filter. Yeah, you know. So, but his his your grandmother survived. My grandmother and my dad's four sisters survived. Uh, one of his sisters had cross eyes because one of the Russians hit her in the head with the butt of a rifle for disobeying something. No shit. Yeah. So how'd they get out of Russia to go to Israel? After the war, slowly but surely, they parted out and got smuggled out. Like, the kids got smuggled out first. Uh-huh. And then they got smuggled by train all the way to Germany, and the Allied soldiers didn't know what to do with them, so they put them in a displaced persons camp, and all the displaced persons camps were former concentration camps. Wow. And uh, my dad has vivid memories of meeting Eisenhower and Mickey Marshall. Really? They came to inspect the place and then took the kids. Which camp was it? I don't know the name yeah, of the yeah. camp. I could find out. It was in Poland? Yeah, this was in Germany. At oh, in now. Germany. Okay. And uh, After the liberation. After the liberation. Mm-hmm. And the the generals uh, threw out a bunch of German refugees from a fancy hotel and put the kids up. Oh, wow. Yeah. So my that's... dad always loved Americans after that. Now, I wonder if that's going to happen uh, with these kids today. Oh, God. I... <laughs> it's fucking horrendous. <laughs> it's, it is so terrible right now. So, all right, so they make it to Israel. Yeah. Your dad grows up there, mm-hmm. does his service time, right? Yep. And he loves Israel? He he loved Israel a lot. He wanted to go back in his older age, but uh, it just didn't work out. And what about your mom? She was Israeli as well? My mom was born in Palestine. Uh-huh. Before Israel. Before Israel. So they were older people, huh? Uh, yeah, my mom's almost 80 now. My dad has been gone for 24 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. What happened? cancer weird place Jeez, man so what did you say on the porch that the thing you got in your neck is genetic too it's a genetic thing but it mainly affects a small population of asian men have you done the 23 and me thing i have not mm, i wonder <laughs> my dad my dad long shot but, my yeah. dad's family's from poland my mom's family's from the ukraine and from baghdad oh yeah 
Yeah. So I don't, I mean, possibly. But she's but, a Jew. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the Iraqi Jews were there from the time of the destruction of the first temple. Wow. Yeah. Some old Jews. Old Jews. <laughs> old school Jews. Old, old school. So what made them decide to come here? Um, my dad kept on getting called up into the Israeli Army Reserves, yeah. which can happen until you're 55. Wow, yeah. And uh, because he was in special units, yeah. they kept calling him back, and it bankrupted his, his textile mill that he had built with my mom. Oh, so oh, so the requirement, his skill set his skill set. the military mm-hmm. fucked him. Hard. Yeah. So he got out, and he was trying to get out at a lower rank than he was. Yeah. He finally got out, got papers, came to America because he had a sister living in the Bronx. Yeah. Started trying to work to bring over the family, and then because he was an eligible alien, almost got sent to Vietnam. Jeez. Yeah. 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 That would have been- He said that they pulled him up to the draft board, and it was literally old men deciding young men's fate. And how old was he? Uh, In 1967, he was 30. Wow. So he, how do you not go? Um, they finally figured out he had a wife and kid in another country. And if he died in battle, yeah, the government was going to have to pay for them for the rest of their lives. Oh, so it was a financial thing? It was a financial decision on the government. And that was part. early on in that war, too. Really. Yeah, 67, though. He, they, they were trying to send him to the 101st Airborne Division, which got hammered. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, it was a fucking meat grinder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he got out of that, and, and he, what, he starts a business? He gets no, no, he started over. working for other people. Yeah. He, his first job application, they gave him a resume, and he, didn't, he barely understood English. Yeah. Like, he learned the alphabet from my mom the day before he got on the plane. He only did, spoke Hebrew and Polish? He spoke Hebrew, Polish, Yiddish, um, a-, a little bit of Arabic, and Russian. Right. So how do you get your mom over here? Uh, well, uh, he put in the resume. He, they gave him the, the, the application. He gave it back and said, try me for a week, and if you don't like me, don't hire me. For what? Textiles. Yeah. What does that mean? Weaving? Making Weave, at the time, weaving and mechanical yeah. work. Okay. So he did that for about uh, six, mo- six to eight months, I think, uh-huh. and then my mom and brother came over. They, the, like they, what, because he had money st- saved up? Enough they, money f- to, for a place and to make sure that they were set. And that's in, that was in the Poconos? No, no, that was in Massachusetts. My, we, my dad, st- Chatham Mills and all those places, oh, well, yeah, right. Massachusetts had a big textile, textile yeah, history. Sure, yeah. But then at that, that was the time that it was starting to leave Massachusetts. Right. So from there we went to New Jersey, from New Jersey we went to Pennsylvania. Yeah. And then from Pennsylvania it was to the Midwest. All textile work. All textiles. Never opened his own business again. Nope. So Nebraska was a textile job. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Omaha? No, no, no. Three and a half hours west of Omaha in a town called Holdridge is where he worked. When my mom saw the town the first time, she burst into tears. Okay. Said, I can't live in, a, in a, a place this small. So my dad commuted almost 40 miles a day to live in a town that was 30,000 people. Really? Mm-hmm. And was it, uh, did you like it there? No, I hated it. Why? Uh, I was the only Jewish kid. I got beat up three to five times a week. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just rampant, sort of brutal anti-Semitism? All of this stuff that's coming to light under President Trump is no surprise to me. Yeah. Because I lived under the people who are supporting him the most that are my age. Yeah. I know what they were like 30 years ago. Right. Because they were kicking my ass then. Yeah. That same bigotry is still in them. Of course. And now they're just feeling themselves. Yeah, right. They're waking up. Yeah, and it's not everyone in the Midwest. There's plenty of enlightened people. Right. But there are plenty of idiots. Yeah. That are just ignorant and hateful. And Yeah. And like, did you ever get badly hurt? Uh, I got hit with pipe. I got hit with chains. Really? Yeah. My dad finally said, I didn't serve in the military in Israel and survive the Holocaust for you to be in a, a gigantic pussy. 
He said the next time someone raises to you. No, he said the next time someone raises a hand to you, you either beat the shit out of them or don't come home. And then he enrolled me in karate classes. <laughs> yeah. And that's a hundred percent. Did you beat the shit out of anybody? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Over time. <laughs> I realized, yeah. uh, so I realized like I, I learned karate enough, Yeah. but if it got closer than fists and into wrestling, I would lose. So then I went out for wrestling for two years. So, and then you used your, <laughs> you leveraged your weight on them. Well, then I grew, I grew from five, eight to six, four Yeah. in between the, my, uh, junior, my sophomore and junior year. Did they stop fucking with you? <laughs> Once I hurt a couple people. Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's crazy. And how, what, how many siblings do you have? One. What, a sister? Brother. Same age as you. Oh, really? A little yeah. older. Yeah, little, seven years. Seven years older than you. Yeah. Where was he? Uh, we lived in Pennsylvania. He went to college in Pennsylvania. We moved to Nebraska. There was no reason for him to move. He was in college. Oh, and is he still around? He is. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. You get along with him? Uh, we're not close at all. I haven't. We haven't spoken in years. Really? Yeah. Why? I think that we embarrass him. Oh, really? Yeah, I think we're a little too old-worldy, ethnic-y for him. No kidding. Yeah. But he's a schlissel. He's a schlissel, but he distances himself. He cut off the whole family, not just my mom and me, uncles, aunts, cousins. For no reason. No, Not that I know of. I mean, I'm sure he has a reason. Is he married with kids and everything? He's married with a stepdaughter. Huh. Yeah. It doesn't bother you? It bothers the hell out of me, but, you know, I also don't... If that if that's his wish, it's fine. You don't you don't reach out. Um, tried to uh, under duress yeah. from a relative. Yeah, and uh, nothing. It's not going to ever happen again. I'm not. Wow, and it's why that that age difference is sort of like wide enough to where you probably didn't know him that well. Oh no, no, I wanted to be him. I I looked up to him. I loved him. Yeah, yeah. What? Why? What was he? What was he do? What was he? What he was, was just a he. You know, I'm an artsy out of shape you know weirdo and yeah. he's like more of a mainstream manly man and yeah scuba dives and does work with his hands and yeah just like yeah. a man's man and a good yeah. dude yeah so you're always sort of like the kind of art nerd yeah 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 way way in high school and everything else Every, all the time yeah and what did you do? Where did you? What was your hot in high school? Did you play in bands ever? No, I don't have primary talent. I'm not the kind of person that could pick up an instrument or play it or pick up a brush and paint. Yeah, I have always just like appreciated and tried to connect people and just wanted to be around folks who were that kind of creative, hoping that something would rub off. Well, what did you do well, Dan? <laughs> I, I was really good at schmoozing. No, but I mean, back in the day, what did you go to college for? What? I went to college for, uh, I started in electrical engineering and realized I wasn't smart enough and wound up in a physics degree program. Uh-huh. Did and got, get, my de- got my degree. You got a physics degree? Physics with a minor in math. So you can wrap your head around that stuff? You... No, no, no. Towards the end, it was beyond me. Oh, you, if, you... I, if I couldn't picture it physically anymore, yeah. it kind of lost any connection to anything for me. So you weren't, you weren't good at math or physics, really? Uh, good enough at math. Yeah. You know, if you put your mind to it, you can get through just about anything, but you also know what your limits are. But you were no wizard. I was not a wizard. Oh my God. I went to school with wizards. So where does music come in? Uh, music came in, you know, when you're isolated and you don't have much, you you cling on to weird bits of culture. Yeah, sure. So you mean in Nebraska? Yeah. Yeah. So like that's sort of been my modus operandi. And when I moved to, uh. Lincoln to go to college, I, I started running into other quote unquote freaks. You know, I know that town. I performed in that town. It's, it's a great town. It's a little beat up, but yeah, it's a good town. It's hard to go back, but I mean, yeah, there were freaks there when I went there. It seems like there was a good contingency, a uh, good, a nice, healthy, kind of drunken art 
contingent there. Yeah, and, and at the time that I was there, I knew all of them. Yeah, I still know a great deal of them. All right, so you're uh, so you're in Lincoln and you're yeah. locking in with the the weirdos. Yeah, and uh, that's where it starts. Yeah, you- literally, I you know I was at the university. I picked up a school newspaper and there was an article about a local rap band. And to me, that blew my mind. I didn't realize bands could be from places other than New York or Nashville right. or here or London. Right. I just had no concept yeah. of that. Yeah. So I went and bought that tape and I thought, wow, they're talking about things that are happening here, the homeless on this street or this oh, place yeah. or that. Yeah. And it really kind of affected me. Yeah. And then I fell in with other people who actually knew local bands. Right. Some of them lived on my dorm floor. Some of them were people I just ran into once I started going to shows. Uh-huh. And that changed everything for me yeah in what way what did you see instead of becoming just a music fan and just loving the beatles or just loving the clash or whatever yeah i could love bob and joe playing in the the trio down the street right and they were talking about things that were relevant to me because they were my same age and my same exact place yeah it it just really hit home for me hard yeah yeah and it fell on there was this group called 13 nightmares that were uh not nationally recognized at all, but they were just so wonderful. Yeah. Hard on their sleeve about uh, race relations and like how we did things wrong and yet also rocking and talking about the bullshit. Were of they black? Work. No. Oh. All white folks. Yeah. And two, uh, three of them moved on to become a band called Mercy Rule that got a little bit more notoriety, but not on national levels. Right. So when did you start getting involved with uh, production? Where it Was it... Uh, you know, did you do any managing or any, you know... I started going to shows so much that I started becoming part of the scene. Right. And then there was one band that I actually would help them load in and load out. Right. And it wasn't really management. What band was that? It was a band called Such Sweet yeah. Thunder. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. They were from Kearney, Nebraska, but one of the dudes lived in Lincoln. Punk rock? Uh, no, it was like REM runs into the replacements. Oh, okay. So. Really jangly, like these innocent, heartfelt songs. They eventually got heavier as time went on. Yeah. But... The first stuff is so like naive and innocent and pure and heartfelt that it just sucks you in. Yeah. Or it did me at least. Yeah. You might go, eh, whatever. But well, for I, me, I remember liking a few songs by that album you gave me, that Chuglin album. Oh, Chuglin was a, a great Minneapolis band. Yeah, I still yeah. go crazy for them. So, all right. So, so you're loading in and out. You're following bands around. Everyone knows you on the scene. And then I started there's working. There's the tall Jew. There's the they tall would Jew. They say lovingly. <laughs> Yeah, and to hear it lovingly and without derision was something nice for a change. (laughs) Good. (laughs) So I started working at the university program council and booking bands to play at the university. Small bands, not the big national touring stuff. Right, right. And that got me in with them a little bit more. Then I got hired to manage a record store by a friend from an Omaha record store. In Lincoln? In Lincoln. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Like used records, classic? Used used indie stuff and and a lot of... uh, Live imports. So, oh, right. right, right. The bootlegs. <laughs> yeah. So you were the record store guy. I was a record store manager. Yeah. 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 And Did it, you, you were in charge of buying? Uh, yeah, I actually dealt with Sub Pop regularly and I dealt with Dutch East India, which was a big distributor. So this is where you got educated uh, as mm-hmm. to what was out there. And at the same time, physics was becoming incomprehensible. Yeah. So it became very clear to me where I wanted to put my energy. Oh, good. Because of the management job at the record store. At the management job at the record store, booking bands at the university, yeah. knowing all the bands. Yeah. All of a sudden, it strikes me, Sub Pop is just now taking off with Nirvana. Right. Taking okay. so off. So this is a 90s, 91. 91, yeah. And- uh, I was like, oh my God, I know bands and I know distributors. And 
I buy from them, they'll buy from me if I tell them I have something. Uh-huh. I can do this. Right, yeah. So I, I quickly, I figured out it, to talk to Such Sweet Thunder, they had already had two albums that they wanted to put together as a CD maybe. Uh-huh. Um, I borrowed $1,000 from my brother and from the guy that owned the main local bar that all the bands played Back at. when you and your brother were talking? Yeah, back yeah. when we were still like brothers. Yeah. yeah. You know, now yeah. we're not like, yeah. even acquaintances. Right. Um, but yeah, back then, I and I put up $1,000 of my own. And we did the CD. It came out in November 6th of 1992. Yeah. And uh, within six months, I had everyone paid off with interest. You sold it. How'd you sell it? At shows and at the store I worked at. Yeah? Yeah. And you made the money back? And the distributor picked it up too. Yeah. And they did they, but did they get any traction really? They didn't get huge traction, but I mean, back then you make a thousand copies. If you sold a thousand copies, you were great. You didn't make more. You were like, hey, we're done. It's great. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so you had a success. Wild success, by uh-huh. my opinion. Right. So then I fooled myself into thinking I could do it. And You're then, a mogul. Oh, from there on out, it was just a Daffy Duck explosion after Daffy Duck explosion. Really? Yeah. So right. Right after the first one, it just went south. Um, it took. I mean, like we had probably over the course of six years, we probably had like seven records that did well. So you were you 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 were a label. It was a label. It wound up becoming more of a co-op. What was the name of the label? It, it started as Ism. Yeah. ISM, which stood for in spite of myself. Yeah. <laughs> which was the reason I woke up. Right. And then there was a band in New Jersey called Ism and they said, you can't use that name. So yeah. I switched it to the more confusing Ismist. Yeah. Which stood for in spite of myself, in spite of them. Yeah. And that's what I stayed at until, uh, until, until comedy came up for me. So you did seven records, you said? No, we did 70, but maybe seven of them were seven. Ismist did 70 records. Yeah. In six years. And seven of them what? Were successful. Which ones? Uh, Such Sweet Thunder, the Honey Boy Turner Band. I helped distribute the first Slipknot CD. Um, but you didn't record it. I did not record it. Uh-huh. But I'm one of like five, six people that helped Got it out there? Push them. Were you still it. at the record store or was this after? This was after. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then what? Okay. So that's for four. Uh, those are four. And then um, I did a single for Killdozer from Madison, Wisconsin. That's five. They're big. Yeah. They were decent. Yeah. Yeah. They were, they, and they were good dudes. Yeah. Um, I have to think, uh, there was a compilation called Lenomo, which was Lincoln Omaha bands that yeah. did really well. And I can't remember the other one right off the top. But of you head. did 70. We did 70 records total, but a lot and of it was like co-op where the band said, could we use your name and you distribute it and right. we'll so, put the money in. So you built these distributing relationships just from, you know, uh, from the record store initially and then just building out with some of the more successful. Correct. And you dealt with mostly what record stores? I dealt with uh, record stores and the distributor, and then eventually there was a distributor in Kansas City that got us into the Best Buy system. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So those are just working connections. Yep. Back when you had hard copies of things. Exactly. Before uh, MP3s. Yeah, yeah, before Napster. <laughs> oh, that, Napster fucked it. Wait, oh, when, God, did it. <laughs> when the fuck was that, 92, 90? When did, uh, when, when Napster did that... was 98. Was that the beginning of it when when everyone was just ripping everything? Yep. 98, 99. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because it was right about the time I was moving to Minnesota. All right. So, yeah. How does that all work? So, you put out 70 records. When do you move to Minnesota? I moved to Minnesota in November of 99, 98. So, this is after the 70 records or you're still doing music at that time? Uh, no, no, this is, uh, this is probably at about 67 records. I think okay. I did like three once I moved to Minnesota. So Napster hits and you have a, you, you, you realize that you're in trouble. 
Napster hit it. Well, I didn't know I was in trouble yet. Comedy started for me before Napster hit. So what was it? But people are still buying CDs, right? There's no really people were buying CDs all the way. I mean, people still buy CDs. The I whole know. the whole thing of I get them a not... check from you every few months. Yeah, yeah, my weird little checks. Yeah, <laughs> the uh... but that's from CD sales. Oh no, that's no, that's from also everything. from digital no, as that's well. Right, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, CDs were selling pretty well all the way up until about I don't know six years ago. Yeah, and they still sell well if the artist pushes them, but they don't sell well via retail. Right. Yeah. So what? Why do you start doing comedy? What's the white light moment that you have? I was always a fan of comedy. I was brought up with it from real young. Yeah, like what? <laughs> there, Israeli sketch comedy. Really? Yeah. The from first guy. No, my mom. Do you speak Hebrew? I do. Yeah. Not very well. I make a lot of mistakes in gender and tense, but I speak pretty well. Yiddish. No, I don't even really understand Yiddish. Right. That's a Polish Hebrew. A, Polish thing. German yeah. Russian. Yeah. yeah. A little bit of everything. That was the idea. It's yeah. a regional thing. Yeah, but it's mainly based on old German is the is main it? basis. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. So, you uh, comedy, uh, Israeli sketch comedy? Yeah, they were basically the Monty Python of Israel without aping Monty Python. Uh-huh. And they came up with malapropisms and turns of phrase that are still important in Hebrew in Israel right uh-huh. now. Like, they really helped change and shape the language as oh, it was wow. developing. Interesting. So, like, my mom had those records, and there were certain... I can't, I'm not going to start telling you the names of the things. What's the name all, of the group? They're called Hagashaj uh-huh. ha- Hachaver. Hagashaj Hachaver. Ha- yeah. Hachaver. Uh-huh. Yeah. Hachaver. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The Pale Tracker is what that translates uh-huh. to. The Pale Tracker? Yeah. What does that mean? I just... That's just the name of it. Okay. Like Monty Python. What's How many that records they have out? Oh, man. Uh, probably about... Eight or twelve at this point. I mean, a couple members have died now, but they're like when you were a kid. There were only a few, or there no, there were like seven, eight of them. No kidding. Yeah, and this was made you laugh. You loved it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's certain bits that still oh, make yeah. me laugh, and they're all in Hebrew. Yep. Uh-huh. Uh huh. They played Carnegie Hall once. I heard, but I don't know if it was in English or in Hebrew. And uh, so this was. Did you have other comedy records? Is it, it did, that's did, how it started for me? Then it was TV. Uh-huh. You know, the big HBO push. Sure. Then kind of Comedy Central, but also like, you know, the the big the big push of HBO was also the time of Kinnison and Dice sure. and Roseanne and uh late 80s. Yeah, early 80s. Really? That's yeah, right. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That's Louis right. yeah. Louis Anderson sure. and uh, Oh right, yeah, yeah, the original push. Yeah, yeah, the the push. So yeah. that's kind of what was the big influence. Kinnison was sort of late 80s, but Louis I think and Roseanne were early 80s. Schimmel yeah. was in that mix too. So you're listening to all that stuff and and what makes you decide that it's a viable, uh, you know, because like the weird thing about standup records and about you in particular is that, you know, every like in terms of my peer group, you know, and people younger than me, I, I mean, you recorded most of us. Yeah. I mean, a lot of us, you know, and we can go over names later, but like what what started to make you think you could do it or, or how did that what was the first record honestly i i think i knew i could do it well right because you'd done records before, yeah because but... the, the the music thing was such proof to me and when i lived in lincoln i remember there was an episode of Tompkins square yeah and i can't remember i think i want to say it was uh, jeff ross who did like that, no, that, that was th- what the worst show i i think i remember doing it but like yeah it was out in the park it was in the park but I can't remember who was the host, I uh, honestly, but I remember that it was an episode with Judy Gold, Dana Gould, uh, Greg Proops, and Lewis Black. Right. And and Lewis Black became like a Ron Livingston character. I remember the taping of this. I mean, it was I taped that day, same night. Oh, really? I remember, yeah. Wow. I think so. I mean, I, was, I know it was, I did it. 
Because I remember being down there outdoors. And they would have done multiple episodes in a night? Because sure. it was an hour long show from what I remember. Really? Maybe they did mix and match even. I don't know. Like I, I feel like I was down there. Right. But to me, I was sitting in this apartment in Lincoln and, and Lewis came on. And he was kind of like a, a Ron Livingston sort of guy, the guy from Office Space. Yeah. Where it's like you don't know his name, but it's like that guy. Yeah. He was so, on The Daily Show. He was on The Daily Show, but I didn't hadn't put that together yet. Yeah, yeah. I the saw original it, Daily Show. The original Daily Show. I had Before seen, John Stewart. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he was on from Kilbourne. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But uh, I saw that episode of Tompkins Square and I was like, that guy is great. Too bad I'll never meet him living here. Yeah. I'd love to do something with him. Yeah. And then, then I put it together that he was on The Daily Show. And, you know, my wife and I would talk about him the way we talked about Ron Livingston. That guy turned up again. Yeah. I moved and he'd him, been around for a while at that point. But I didn't know that. But he'd been doing other things. Right. Right. Yeah. So I moved to Minneapolis. And then three months after I move, I'm working a gig and driving back and forth. And I hear an ad on this radio station saying that he's going to be in Minneapolis at a comedy club. Yeah. Now, I've been to theaters to see comedy, but I'd never been to a comedy club. Yeah. He was so at I, Acme? He was at Acme. Yeah. I ran home, called, got the address, figured out how to get there because I was new to town and yeah. I lived ways away from it. Went straight to the club with a handful of CDs from my music label and a note that I wrote out in my car. Yeah. Handed it to the usher and I expected it to be like a rock venue where Elvis has left the building. You don't sure. get to meet the act. <laughs> no. He's sitting in the room and back. Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah. So I hand the stuff to an usher, watch the show, have a great night. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I guess that's it. I hope this message in a bottle gets to him. And you know, Acme, it's, it's like a fish tank. There's yeah. a big, two big glass walls. Yeah. I'm leaving and I see him standing in the middle of the bar. Yeah. I'm like- this is my goddamn chance. Yeah. So I walked up and I introduced myself and I asked if he got the stuff I had left and he hadn't. So I just, I pitched him right there just as an eager, here's my shot. This yeah. is it. And he- What did you say? I'm going to make a record with you. I want to make a record with you. I've made records with bands for a number of years now. And there was, you know, I see you in the tradition of this guy and that guy and that yeah. guy. And I just really think that there should be some kind of record of it other than what's yeah. on TV. Yeah. And, uh, I must not have come across as a crazed lunatic yeah. because he seemed interested yeah. and he told me how Warner Brothers had just said no and that he was actually open to doing something. And this is before Comedy Central had a record label. Right. So he basically said, get a hold of my management. Go. I, I run out to a payphone, call my wife who's still in Nebraska at the time uh, getting ready for the wedding. And I tell her what happened and we're like both jumping up and down for joy and nothing's happened yet. Yeah. It took months, then we finally recorded. Yeah. And he was super great about it. Where'd you record? Madison, Wisconsin at a club called Laugh Lines. It's no longer there. Yeah? Yeah. And then like two years later, you finished mixing it. <laughs> God damn it, Mark. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I am sorry. never going to, I mean, there's just no way I'm going to ever no, live. It's all right. I'm sorry. Um, I will serve no wine before it's time, Mark. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I've grown to appreciate the process, but okay. So you, you laid down the tracks. We laid down the tracks and it was my first album. Uh, I was working with a recording engineer in Madison who I knew was very high quality. And, uh, I worked in Minneapolis, so it'd be a four hour drive to get to his house to work on or his studio to get to work on stuff. Yeah. So everything was very meticulously done and planned and we listened to all the shows it was like uh 
for him, I think we had five shows. It might have been six. Uh-huh. And we charted out where every joke was. And we tried to analyze what the flows of the jokes were from this one to that one to this, to try and make an actual workable pattern. Yeah. And then also to try and include as much of the material as we could before we started winnowing stuff out. Right. And that was what was so time consuming. Yeah. Because- which show, and then the mix down, if you're pulling things from different shows. Well, the mix down, you do everything first. Uh-huh. You do all of it first as if you're going to use all of it. You level it all out? You level it all out so that when you decide to cut, there's yeah. no time lost in it. You just cut, 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 right, cut. Right, right, So that's how I do it, at least. Do you change the order ever? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we have to. You have to. Because sometimes there's things that tie together, uh, jokes that should have been grouped together that right. weren't, uh-huh. uh, or things that have callbacks that are too far apart or not near, you know, or too right, near. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you have, to, you have to be able to do that stuff. So, all right, so what was the first record called? The White Album. Oh, it was the White So that was big. That's number one for me. As stand-up you still records, make your money. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's still selling. Yeah. Still downloaded, still. Look, it's, how do you talk about this stuff without sounding like you're breaking your arm patting yourself it's a legendary record yeah yeah i i, I got lucky i yeah. got real lucky to put myself in that place and to that make was your it first record number one comedy record and and it sold wildly yeah this is as napster's going yeah so we were still selling records then because napster hadn't destroyed did you record them. on vinyl at that time or no the vinyl came shortly okay so his record initially came out on my old label is yeah. He was, I called him once on his cell phone and pitched to him doing vinyl of yeah. it. And he was on a plane that was about to close the door. He goes, why, why do vinyl? I go, we've sold 10,000 copies of this record so far. We can do a run of 500 LPs and that's literally half a percent of what we've actually sold. I think we'll be fine to sell 500 copies yeah. on vinyl. He goes, if you think you can do it, do it. So I issued the vinyl still on my old label. Yeah. And it sold fast. We made a, he came to Minneapolis once and my wife baked a cheesecake and I brought him to the house and he saw, signed all of the covers. She baked a cheesecake? Yeah. She's Jewish? She converted. Oh. Yeah. Was cheesecake learning how to make a cheesecake part of it? No, it was, uh, <laughs> that was out of sheer joy, I think. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's probably not even a Jewish thing, cheesecake. Well, it's a New York thing. Juniors, yeah. man. Sure. I know yeah. juniors. Yeah. Um, I per- I actually have grown to prefer ricotta cheesecake, Italian style. Cheesecake. Yeah, my mom loves ricotta style, and that's it. what she makes. Love it. All right, so you have a big hit record, basically, for a comedy for record. For a comedy record, yeah. And it, and this is before Billboard had a comedy chart, so there was really no way to document it at the time. And, well, if it really was huge, it would make the regular charts. Yeah, but 60, I think we sold over the course of time 60,000 copies. That's it might great. be more now. I don't yeah. remember exactly. How many records did you do with uh, Lewis? Uh, I did two records and an EP on my label, and then I produced four more for Comedy Central. Oh, so he he brought you along. Yeah. That's good of him. It was great of him. Did you get points on those? Uh, I got no points. I didn't even get a fee. What? Yeah. That's not a good deal, Dan. No, I, I look, I know now. What do you mean you know now? They, you know, we want you to do this, we're not going to pay you? There wasn't a red flag? I got vinyl rights on the first two, <laughs> okay. and then the third one got me a Grammy. Yeah. How am I going to come? Oh, yeah, you didn't pay me. Yeah. I got a Grammy award. I'm yeah. set for life now. Are you? Not financially, but I can always get work. Oh, right. Right. Who is doesn't he, want to hire a Grammy award winning producer? Right. And is that has that panned out? It's it's done okay. I'm not wealthy. I don't live in a No, I know. I know, <laughs> but like does it do you have to use that as a calling card uh, uh, ever? Uh it, it never hurts to have it. How many records have you released on stand up? It is at 196 right now. And that's uh records, videos, 
LPs, cassettes, all that stuff. But 196 releases. separate releases. Mm-hmm. And as I was saying before, like, you know, I was number 21, you said, or 20? You were number 21. Yeah. Tickets is number 21. Tickets still available. Hmm. But like you, like I was saying, you've done like everybody's at least their first two records, right? A lot of them, yeah. A lot Maria of Bamford, like we talked about Lewis, you got Hannibal Burris, Brendan Burns, wow. Lee, uh, well, I'm not going to mention everybody. <laughs> David Cross, Chad Daniels, Jim David, DiStefano, you did. Um, fuck, dude. Like who else here? Judy Gold, Eddie Gosling, Dana Gould. I'm, I'm, I'm obviously doing people I know. Renee Hicks, um, Jackie Cation, Jonathan Katz. Wow. Kinane. Yeah. Well, I mean, some of those are vinyl licenses, you know, where they had the record come out somewhere else and I did the LP. Oh, version. LaBelle, Danny LaBelle. You Danny probably LaBelle. Record. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I did. You didn't fly to Spain to do that record, did you? I was supposed to, but then I had my neck surgery, so I had to cancel the trip. Oh. I got to go to Scotland for the first album, but I didn't get to go to Spain for the second one. Oh. Mary Max, she's great. Yep. I haven't talked to her in a while. How about Stanhope? <laughs> Stanhope brought his records to okay. Stanhope's manager at the time were the same as Lewis's managers, uh-huh. so they brought him to me. But he wanted to license, so I licensed the first four records and uh, the fifth one I didn't own. Bobby Kelly, yeah, that I licensed his first self-released record. Like okay, so what do. does it mean when you license? It means the and rights, I'm not even mentioning all the names. By right, the right. The licenses are generally like the artist already had paid to record it and have it done. Yeah. And then they distributed it until they didn't want to deal with it anymore. And then I licensed it to take it over to get it back in. From them. Yeah. And that means you own it as a partner or you own it? No, they own it and I have the rights to manufacture and distribute. And oh, pay royalties. I get it. I yeah, get yeah. it. Okay. So you could do that with anything. It depends. You could. I mean, if you, if the artist is willing, some artists aren't willing. Uh-huh. But you do a lot of business like that. A fair I think any label that's smart would. Yeah. And your label is uh, successful still. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not, like I say, I'm not wealthy, but like my bills are covered and I could come out here and record when I need to and go wherever. What are you doing out here? I'm here to see you. That's it? And I, I'm also I seeing. You were going to be here. I'm. Anyways. I'm also seeing a ton of old friends. This oh yeah. Is like a re- You got to remember, I went through a life-altering thing. Yeah. So I remember. I. It's not just business, business, business. Some of it is reconnecting to maintain my spirits and to keep moving forward. Yeah. Right. You know, I spent a lot of time that that whole staring into the abyss, the abyss stares back. Yeah. And it, it takes a lot of physical and mental energy to get through a day now. Yeah. And I don't want to be a psychic vampire, but I am here to reconnect with why I do what I do. Yeah. In order to prep for this. You're going to come down to the comedy store tonight? Are you, I didn't know you. Are you there? Yeah, I'm there. I, I might. I mean, it's I had no plans for it. There's probably some people you know. What were you like? Are you seeing comics? A lot of the friends of yours comics? A lot of my friends are comics, but I'm seeing them outside of comedy shows so that we can actually sit and talk. And oh, That's nice. How yeah. long are you out here for? Till Monday. Uh huh. How? So you got a kid now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How'd that kid turn out? She is becoming her own person now. She's nine. Uh huh. Sweet person, still figuring out boundaries, of course, because yeah. you do that your whole life. Sure. But uh, she is just. It's fun to watch the world be new. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, sure. And it makes you appreciate some things that you didn't necessarily appreciate. And it opens your heart in ways that you didn't Yeah. You didn't expect. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And yeah. It, it it's been a great experience. It's I, I feel bad for her that she has a crippled father. Uh-huh. 
because I can't chase her around. I can't do all when she was a baby, like I would give her suplexes yeah. on our bed, you know, right. like we'd set up cushions and I would just lift her on my shoulder and back and over. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I can't really do that kind of stuff now. I can't just take her and play soccer with her right. with a cane. You right. Know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, well, I mean, you're, you know, you're still moving. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's just not the experience I was hoping to give her. But she's a great kid. She's turning out wonderfully. Oh, good. Yeah, good. And and uh, I'm gonna, I, I just took dates in Minneapolis. I'm gonna be up there in September. Oh, nice. In September. So, well, what do you got? What What are you working on now? Like, what what albums are are like in the pipeline? In the pipeline right now is vinyl for David Cross's newest. His most recent tour that it had a Netflix special. Yeah. That's also a license, but we were working together to make sure the vol- all the vinyl colors are right. And because it's themed about our current president, who I don't want to name by name. Yeah. You know, there's f- different color schemes that include uh, piss yellow and Halloween orange and then the Russian flag. Uh-huh. And, you know, so that project is just about done and released. Do records sell well? Um. <laughs> there's a lot of hype in vinyl no uh, i know i know but like i like the, the last two albums i did the last two specials i did like netflix released vinyl and i didn't even i didn't even really consult on the cover i just said yeah just if you need to put it out for you know grammy uh consideration put it out like i didn't put any effort into it at all so and, the, the most recent one came out on vinyl yeah two real came out on vinyl oh wow i didn't know that i'm now i'm gonna have to hunt for it yeah i don't know if you can get i don't know how many they made i only have a few oh wow but like like i didn't do any cover art or nothing but like the other one, you know what didn't come out on vinyl is uh, more later, which is a uh, is a good one. Oh, uh, maybe we can do that. I just like I as much vinyl as I buy, like you know I know f- for a fact that you know I collect old comedy records, but I don't listen to them too often. Yeah, but I mean comedy records are a different thing. Yeah, that's to ha- what I mean. Yeah, yeah. To me, you know, vinyl's a multi edged weapon yeah you know i want my stuff to be on vinyl because i want it to be with the classics yeah you know and it, right and that's the main reason you yeah. do it but vinyl also practically is four thousand dollars that sits on a pallet that will almost likely never be four thousand dollars again <laughs> yeah right you know yeah, it can a take, lot of stuff like that <laughs> yeah it takes years and years and years to move the stuff it does it can unless you're out there like i'll tell you the one successful really successful vinyl story yeah. i have when i did that kyle canane license we were sold out within a year how many did you print 500 records records yeah lp records yeah but i've had other artists where still sitting there yeah over 10 years do you have Dave Cross's Shut Up, You Fucking Baby? Uh, I ran out of those. Uh-huh. I ran out of that, and I ran out of It's Not Funny. Yeah. But it took a while. Uh-huh. And you wouldn't think it would, because you would think his crowd particularly would like vinyl. Well, I mean, vinyl's still pretty specific, and like, uh, like I've got some great old comedy records. Like, I, you know, and, and sometimes I do put them on. Like, I have that, I have a really old Rodney record that was before he sort of was doing the no, I Get No Respect thing. Was it The Loser? Yeah, The yeah. Loser. That's I have a good record. That. It's a great record. Yeah. But no to... respect is like the gold standard of, of his of, of any comedy album. I think. Oh, that it's called No Respect. There's two albums he has that have similar titles. There's an earlier one called I Can't Get No Respect from the 70s. Yeah, yeah. And then there's the 80s No Respect where he has the, the, the washcloth. Sure. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And that record is the gold standard of comedy on vinyl, in my opinion. Really? Yeah. But it's, it's not, not worth a lot of money. It's not you. worth a lot of money, but it does. I mean, I'm not talking value. I'm no, talking. I, I got to get one then. Oh my I, God. I don't think I have that one. I got to go look. Front to back. Solid. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. 
I got some weird old ones in there. Well, you got a, you probably have a bunch. I have hundreds. Yeah, I got <laughs> a couple hundred. Oh wow! Yeah, just comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah, you know, I, I just kind of pick them up. Got a lot of the Red Fox Party records. Nice. He uh, had so many though. Yeah, it's hard so to so many. Yeah. But I got I got a few of those. I got the I I have a later Red Fox record. Like uh, you got to wash your ass. You got to wash your ass. Yeah, that's yeah. a classic. Yeah, yeah. It's not classic to listen to per se, but it's well, a great cover. Oddly enough, hardly any of his albums are classics to listen to yeah. because time has not been kind. Because now you can say all the words he couldn't say then. Yeah, all right. Well, we can go look at some comedy records. I'm glad you're okay. Thanks, man. And that you came through the harrowing. Did you go to the Mayo Clinic or wherever? No, no. I was in three different hospitals for five stays total, with only ambulance rides in between them for the course of a month. In the, doesn't the Mayo have a presence in Minneapolis? Or uh, they do, but it's mainly in Rochester, an hour and a half. Away way but uh, uh, that's more cancer than than like degenerative bone disease right yeah yeah well it looks like they put you together all right i you know what all the king's horses and all the king's men there was a they pulled it together there were so many people involved in putting me back on my feet uh-huh and uh it's really more of a credit to them than to me because i'm kind of a i can be a quitter yeah and they put so much work into me that I have to succeed for them. How was being dead for three minutes? It was the most terrifying thing I've been through. Really? You remember it? I I don't remember what the reality of it was. I remember what ha- what I saw. Yeah. And it was, it was groovy in a way because it was like a little bit of 2001, a little bit Star Trek, but it was like the red alert parts of star trek right like i was in front of a control panel that i couldn't read and everything was shaking and falling apart and i knew i was screwed like i was very aware that i was screwed the whole time i was out really yeah that doesn't seem like an exciting thing to look forward to it was terrifying that's what i told you it was the most terrifying (laughs) i know know that i'm Uh, just saying that generally like you didn't see any lights that you the lights that i saw were like the 2001 tunnel Oh, yeah, 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 the rainbow tunnel. And that was cool, Yeah, but it was also in the context of literally everything is shaking apart, and I knew I was panicking. I mean, you got to remember, I remember seeing my wife and trying to tell her to help me. And then you went out? And I was looking at her and looking at the door and looking at her and looking at the door and looking at her and looking at the door to try and signal, get out of here. And I was also trying to like, I know telecommunication doesn't work, but if you can read my mind, get up and go get someone. Yeah. Those are my last conscious thoughts. So that's how you entered it. And that's how I entered it. So I already knew I was screwed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew I couldn't breathe. I knew I couldn't push air. Yeah. The next thing I saw after the the crazy out of body, you know, that stuff was my nurse's face appeared like Garrett Morris in the corner. Uh Literally like a bubble appeared out of the black and it was just big enough for her face. Uh And I could see, and she's like, I have your hand. I'm here with you. Stay with me. Talk to me. And I could see when I looked at her that I had an oxygen mask on. Yeah. But if I turned my head, it was back into the rainbow tunnel. Everything's falling apart. Red alerts, lights. Huh? Yeah. And it took a while. I, after a while, I realized there were more people in the room and I couldn't see them. Yeah. I could only hear them through that bubble that I saw her in. Yeah. And that bubble would occasionally get like watery, like, you know, someone's pouring water over glass and yeah. you're looking through it. Yeah. So it was fading in and out. Oof. And anytime she turned away, I would scream her name Yeah. so that she would turn back. And you'd, you could push air at that point? And get... at, yeah, because at that point, they already, they took me from the chair Oof. and had me laying down and my head was back and the, th- the passageway was open. Oh, man. Crazy. Yeah. I Hard. mean, and I knew... I knew they were cleaning me up from having died and lost muscle control. Yeah. 
I couldn't feel them doing it. I could hear them talking about it. Yeah. And I tried to make a, a joke out of it and the joke didn't translate. And I remember f- my first feeling of that, telling a joke and not having it go over was just, I could feel my shoulders slump like, oh, they didn't get it. <laughs> and they're cleaning up my shit. <laughs> well, I, I, yeah. I only knew that from context, not from actual right. physical. Oh, there you go. So like there, that, now you have a, a nice comedic story. <laughs> it was the worst. because you tanked. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, one joke. It was like you're one gonna, shot. Yeah, I said uh, you'll have to excuse me. My wife shit my pants. Uh huh. And the nurse turns and says, "I don't know what he's talking about." And I just went, "Ugh." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's an easy joke to misunderstand. Yeah, yeah, especially <laughs> given the situation. A non sequitur, yeah. yeah, a non sequitur, and they've just pulled you out of uh, out of the tunnel. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I literally was basically holding on long enough for them to open the tunnel wide enough to grab me. Well, I'm glad you made it. Well, thanks, man. And I'm, thanks for coming by. Thanks for having me. It's, oh, it's so good to see you again. Yeah, it's good to see you, too. And also, like, I'm sorry if I yelled at you too much. You know, it's years ago now. We yeah, but, both I, but yeah, we both grew up. But, like, I know it can be difficult. And at that time, I was yelling a lot. And I imagine it was only about how long is this going to fucking take. But the thing that I appreciate now is that you told me that you understand the process more now. I do. No one who's going through the process, even to this day, no one who's going through the process gets that this isn't just snap your fingers and it's done. Sure, but I, I'm going to continue making jokes to people that tell me they're going to do a record with you. But please, you know, realize you're also affecting my livelihood. No, I'm not. I'm not. I, usually it's people who are already in it. Oh, okay, okay, cool. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm not telling people not to do a record <laughs> with you. Like, if they tell me, like, I just recorded with Dan Schwissel, I'll say something like, if I someone came up to me and said, I just did a record with Dan Schwissel, we just got done recording, I'm like, oh, it'll be released in 2020, that's going to be great, that kind of thing. <laughs> See, look, well, yeah, but like, you laugh for a minute, but, they, but part of you was like, that's about right, right? Six to six months to a year, depends. There's been times where I've turned them in three to four months, but those those are exceptions. No, it's because you're, you, you want it to be right, and they all came out, the two that I did with you specifically were great. And, uh, you know, you, like, you know, there was a lot of stuff to go through for, for uh, both of them. And, and it, you know, and, and I do understand your process. Well, and not only that, you were going through a lot of stuff and change at that time, too. It was a fucking disaster. It was. But, man, what beautiful art did you turn out of it? <laughs> Train wreck, man. I'm glad you liked it. I'm glad you, have, uh, I'm glad you were so supportive. Well, yeah, I'm always there for that. Thanks. Good to see you, man. Good to see you, too. Okay. Dan Schwissel, Stand Up Records at StandUpRecords.com. Go check out the catalog, buy some titles, get caught up. Comedy records are fun. I collect them. I don't, there's there's not that many I listen to over and over again, but there's a few. There's a few I listen to a lot at times. Funny, it's weird who I who I end up like. You know who I listen to a lot, but they're not on Stand Up Records. But uh, Tom Sharpling and uh, John Worcester, that box set is great. But I, I end up listening to Robert Schimmel if he comes on. I get a big kick out of his pace, R.I.P., Robert Schimmel. And I listen, there's a few records I listen to. I feel like listening to one now. What comedy record would I listen to right now? I would probably probably go in and listen to um, the Rodney Dangerfield album before he really became Rodney Dangerfield, before he got the hook, the no respect hook, and he was sort of doing long form type of stuff. The loser record. So, all right, so that's, well, I'm, I'm back. I'm going to be in Minneapolis this week. Uh, I believe all those shows are sold out. I'm going to be in Denver on the 21st, is it? The Comedy Works, September 21st and 22nd. think there's some tickets left. few tickets left for uh, Stand Up Live. Uh, October 13th, that's in Phoenix. And the Beacon Theater, of course. Uh, November, November 10th, I believe. You can go to nycomedyfestival.com to get tickets for that. 
And that's that. I, I don't have any prepared guitar, but shit, it hasn't stopped me before. Boomer lives. 